0: James 5, 1, 2, 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The word of God. We'll, we'll see how we get on today. And uh, I, I mean, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Um, and I think this is uh, the best place to do it. Um, so, I mean, we've just, we've just read this passage and it's... it's uh, it's James taking another shot again against the uh, part of the church um, who, who are not living up to their, their calling. They're not living up to what it is to be a, um, a, a follower of Jesus. And uh, we've, we've been thinking, of course, week after week about these, uh, this criteria of real religion versus uh, fake religion. And, uh, and we see this. We've, we've already got glimpses of this throughout the, 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 the book already, the letter. Um, but clearly, in the church, there is this uh, mixture of people, rich and poor, side by side in, in, in the churches that James is addressing. Which, on one level, is awesome. There's this great diversity. You know, the, the early church were, were um, uh, famous for uh, this sort of um, economic equality happening you know, in uh, Acts 2, for example. Uh, it says that they all shared. There was no one who, who had any need. Acts 4. Acts chapter 6. Um, they looked after the poor among them. Even, even about three or four hundred years later, the early church was still really famous for looking after the poor. Um, there's, a, there's a famous quote you often hear bandied around um, that was written by the uh, the Caesar of the time. It was called Julius the Apostate. And uh, it's funny because he... Uh, it was not funny. He was, a, he was a pagan emperor, but by this time, Rome had already become sort of Christianized, um, but he did not share the faith of Constantine and uh, decided he wanted to sort of repaganize the entire um, city of Rome. So he, he didn't get very far with that, but he tried his hardest. And he actually wrote this letter to one of the priests, these sort of pagan priests. Um, and he wrote in it, as a famous line, he said, he's referring to the Christian church, even those impious Galileans look after not only their own poor but ours as well and uh the church clearly at that time were famous for looking after the poor not only their own poor within the church but but the the poor who the roman state was failing to look after so they had this great um and you know this great uh reputation which we'll think about a little later on about how that affects us but um, we're going to look at this text first of all we're going to think about what it means to us and then think about some of the ways that we can live it out all right so let's, let's look, if you've got it in front of you, it's, it's super handy. Um, James is appealing and he's saying in the first bit, come, come you rich, uh, weep and howl for the misery that is coming upon you. Um, weep and howl, it's coming. Uh, he seems to sort of pr- predict the time uh, when there's going to be some sort of judgment, some sort of future woe. Um, similar, you know, if you, if you ever read... Uh, The Old Testament prophets, parts of them, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, these guys, they're often thundering God's uh, upcoming judgments upon the people of Israel. And it's a similar sort of idea here. You know, you weep uh, and howl for the miseries that are about to come upon you. He's trying to unsettle who he calls the rich. Um, But it's important before we carry on to understand who James is actually referring to here. And as we've we've already seen um, throughout the letter, there there is clearly a mixture of rich and poor. Uh, Don't you remember back in chapter one, for example, James talks about, um, you know, the lowly brother. Let him boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Um, or remember in, in chapter 2, don't show any partiality if a rich man comes in wearing a gold ring and fine clothing and you, you give him the best seat and then a poor man comes in wearing shabby clothing and you give him the worst seat and say sit at my feet like a, like a slave um, so obviously it, we've got a church here that, that, is, that is composed of a, a mixture of, of, of prosperous people and of, of the poor who have absolutely next to nothing side by side in the church and that's great until we find the problem that we have in this text so rich and poor are together um and and, and what James first of all is not taking a swipe at is those who have resources per se or those who have money per se he's not taking a swipe at them he's taking a swipe at a certain type of rich person um let's look in verses two and three gives us a bit more idea of who he's really really getting at um your gold, sorry, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion is evidence against you. So, so we're talking about here people who um, have riches, um, probably perishable riches, maybe grain, you know, from, from successful harvesting, that kind of thing. Storing it up, um, they've got silver and gold. They've got fine garments. Um, you know, these are people who are well off. But this is the point: their riches are rotting, their garments are moth-eaten, their gold and silver have corroded. Therefore, they've lost, lost their value. They're fading away, you know. These are people with resources, but it seems to be that they're not being used or they're not being given out. They're being, they're being hoarded, kept to oneself. Um, John Calvin, who commented on this passage 500 years ago, um, points out that, that, that these things are corroding and moth-eaten and rotten because they're just simply not being used. They're decaying because they're being hoarded, kept to oneself. And as such, it says uh, in, in the second half of verse three, uh, they are evidence against you. The very fact that you have these resources sitting there, used simply for you, is evidence in God's court against you. Now, these are the people that, that James um, is, is teaching about and sort of um, getting at. I don't know if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings. You know, there's a strange character on there called um, Gollum or he was originally known as Smeagol. He was a, a hobbit. Um, I, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, so you're not going to find many quotes uh, from me on that. But I just I, I remember seeing the, the first movie when it came out, and there's this a strange little sort of stick-thin man who sort of runs around with a strange voice. He's called Gollum. And uh, the reason why he is like he is... Do you know the one I mean? Have you seen Yeah, strange weirdo voice? Uh, Karen doesn't. He's a little... Um, a little short guy but he's sort of wasted, he's got his big eyes, his big scary head, you know, sort of balls on top, you know, and he's sort of um, sort of uh, almost like an a little animal. Um, he's a hobbit. But um, it's, he, he, the reason why he's like that is because he, he had uh, the ring, uh, which, which is the, 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 uh, the, the, the ring of great power, um, which really uh, forms the centre of, um, of the story. And, and who had the ring had the power and what they did with the ring. Um, and it said there uh, about Gollum that he loved and hated the ring just as he loved and hated himself. Um, but he became this sort of shriveled, uh, slightly evil, um, individual, loveless, And uh, because he hoarded this ring, he kept it, and it changed him over time. Um, he became this sort of uh, hateful creature who hated himself. And so we, we're starting to think of this kind of richness where, where there's a hoarding, there's a keeping it to oneself. Uh, he even says in verse 3, you know, you're laying up your treasure in the last days. You know, you're, you're stocking it away. You're storing it, saving it for yourself, amassing your own wealth. On and on and on you go, says James. Um, but these are the last days and Christ shall come. And when he comes, he suggests he'll be asking, how have you used your wealth? Um, have you used it for his ordained means? Have you used it for his glory or, or have you held on to it? Have you, have you hoarded it up? Have you laid it up, like we're saying here? A few more thoughts on that later. Um, Let's carry on. The rich, what what else have they done? Not only are they hoarding and holding on to their resources rather than using them for God and his glory, they they are restricting or keeping back uh, the the wages that they should have paid to the laborers. Verses 4 and 5. You've kept it back by fraud. You know, um, these wages are actually crying out. The cries of the harvesters, who you have shortchanged, have reached the Lord of hosts. This is another piece of evidence against the rich that James is, is, is speaking to. Um, not only have they been hoarding, but they've also been defrauding. They've been withholding by, by underpaying. Um, and again, this is nothing new, particularly for, uh, for the Israelites. It was put into Israelite law. You know, um, we covered this a, a few times in, in, in uh, the Ten Commandments uh, series. Um, Leviticus 19, for example, says, God says to the people, You shall not oppress your neighbour or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain, remain with you all night until the morning. You know, you have to pay someone on time, pay them well, pay them on time. And yet here we have this situation with these certain class of rich in the church who are withholding that which is due to their hired staff, you know, to those you know, sort of uh, the the the, the, um, the laborers, you know, um, crying out, it says they're crying out to to God. Um, there's something there's something um, very powerful in God's heart uh, when he hears the cries of his afflicted people. Um, you know The people of Israel themselves cried out to God when they were in, in Egypt, in slavery. And it's their cries that rose before God and, 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 and uh, he, he acted, he redeemed them, he, sl- he saved them. And here we have then the cries of the harvesters, not from the people of Israel, but from the people of the church who are hired by the rich in the church, crying out to God. And, and, and when that happens, God does not remain silent, he does not remain still. He comes in judgment against those who have caused oppression. And that's what James is threatening here. Um, you've been shortchanging your hired workers. You know, in verse 5, you've lived. This is it's filthy, you know. Uh, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've, 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 you've lived spending your own resources on yourself for your own comfort, for your own luxury. But look at the expense, you know. Uh, it's come at the expense of defrauding your... Hired laborers. Goes even further in verse six. You have condemned and murdered the the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's kind of legal language there, suggesting that not only are the rich shortchanging the poor and not giving them what they're due in their work in exchange for their work, um, but they're actually using the legal system of their day to take even more money from the poor um, through the law courts. And of course, the poor, as ever. Um, across the world, have no resources or ability to fight back. Um, they have, they cannot hire good lawyers or what have you to, 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 to um, you know, to, to fight back. And so, uh, you just, you, you're continuing to take money from from the poor. These these uh, selfish, presumptuous, rich people. But again, let's let's be reminded here. This is this is horrible to read about. Um, very, very stark in James's terminology, but we have to remind ourselves: this is happening in the church. Right? These are these are these are people who who are sat in the church who are listening to this message, um, and it's against such rich people that God is speaking um, judgment through the person of James. When I was in um, Ghana with IJM a couple, couple of years ago, year and a half ago. Um, so much of the, what they were trying to do from a preventative strategy, uh, aside from building cases and taking people to court and putting them in prison, they, they, they sought to try and change the culture upstream, if you like, um, to, to show people, communities, etc., all around the huge Volta Lake where the slavery was happening in the fishing industry, to show them that it's not okay to do this. And, and, and uh, they did this primarily through the local church. Why do they do it through the local church? Because these slave owners were not the bad guys who run around in the bushes in, in, in the thick of night and no one knows who they are. They're sat in the churches. These are people who profess faith. Some of them are elders of the churches, uh, respected people. Um, that's, that's how they get away with it. That's how they can convince the poor, poor families um, give me your son, give me your daughter. I will give them a good education. I will give them a good training in the fishing industry. And, of course, that training is, is, um, is, is child labor. It's oppressive. It's seven days a week. It's waking up at 5 in the morning. It's going to bed at 10 o'clock at night. It's diving down, you know, not knowing whether you're going to come up again when you unhook the nets and all this sort of stuff. And this is in the churches. And this is the kind of thing that James is, is talking about here. These, you rich... You know, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming on you. Um, it's also very instructive that that uh, it has reached the ears of the Lord of Hosts. This is the only time when James uses this term in the whole of his letter. Usually, it's Lord uh, or God, but Lord of Hosts is a is a. Um, an Old Testament term, Lord Almighty, sometimes you, you may have heard of, Lord of heaven's armies. It is, it is the Lord who is in charge of the armies of heaven and it is to his ear that the cries of the oppressed and the, the, the poor have risen up. Um, he's not someone, obviously, that you want to mess with. Um, he is the commander of Lord, the, the armies of, of, of heaven. And you've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This kind of behavior, he says, this injustice, is is you simply fattening yourself for that day uh, of judgment and slaughter, kind of like a an abattoir. You know, you're going to get shipped off, and, and your blood will be spilt because of all this. So these are the kind of themes that James is addressing, right? And these are the sort of rich people, not rich per se, but these sort of the way you become rich and what you do with your riches. Um, and so so let's just think then, um, if that's what James is getting at, you know, what relevance does this have for us here, sat here around this table? Um, what relevance does that have for our church uh, going forward? Because evidently there's some sort of uh, feudal system here, you know, wealthy landowners, and you've got um, you know, the, sort of the, the, the workers under, underneath them. How is that relevant for us, maybe even in medieval times, you know, with the feudal system, the, the lords and the peasants, but, but not really now, you know, not really now in, our, uh, in our, the way of our society, maybe in other countries, but, but not so much here. We, we can think to ourselves. Um, perhaps even more personally, uh, looking, you know, looking within ourselves, there's very few of us who, who are sort of way off on the chart of, of great riches and, and landowners and, and, and resources, um, to the extent we're, we're reading here for sure. Um, but, but let's not let ourselves off the hook quite so easily. Uh, when, when we look at ourselves and the way that we handle our, our resources, be they the money in our bank or the money we get paid, uh, the, the, the uh, gifts that we have in terms of the spiritual gifts we have and the, 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 the physical resources we have, such as our homes and our, you know, our transport and our jobs and all that sort of stuff. Um, let's, let's look at that for a second and ask ourselves, how much are we using our resources, however you define it, how much are we using that for God and his glory, to extend his kingdom. And how much are we using that to hoard for ourselves and to spend it on our own luxury? I'm not after you telling me a number or a percentage or anything like that. But it's a question that I believe the text will will force us to ask when we look at ourselves. How much are we laying up for ourselves? Is our general predisposition um, that whatever resource we have, that we're using it for ourselves and our luxury and our comfort and our self-indulgence, um, are we are we heaping it up? Are we saving it? I mean, of course, saving is good. Resources are good. It is not a bad thing to, to use our, uh, our money to, to buy nice things or to go on holiday or whatever. That's all okay. It's completely fine. Um, I've enjoyed all of those myself and, and look forward to the, more in the future. Um, but there comes a time, doesn't there, when we can convince ourselves that, that we're due it, that we're owed it, that we're just saving for a rainy day. Uh, and actually that's not just wise stewardship that can be a cover for this kind of hoarding this, this sort of spending on ourselves uh, laying up our own treasures as opposed to use, using uh, our resources for God and his, and his kingdom how do we know when we've crossed the line um, that's a good question I'm not sure what the answer is to that um, but it seems to be um, as we saw earlier on that what we hang on to or seek to hang on to, will, will rot, it will become moth-eaten, it will become corroded by nature of us not using it, uh, or rather not using it for its intended means, our intended purpose, which is God's kingdom to come, his will be done. Uh, as we saw last week, living as the Lord wills, you know, living in His uh, uh, in his way rather than for ourselves. So, You might think to yourself, well, we don't have much money, um, We I, I look at myself, my money just flies out, right? it comes into the account straight away and it's gone. Um, mortgage payments, house stuff, all that, okay, it's in and it's out. So I don't have personally loads of savings, uh, blah, 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 you, you might sit here and think, well, look at your house, you've got plenty here tied up, and we do, thank God, it's great and everything. Um, but I, I think that I can't let myself out of this by thinking, well, because I don't have 50,000 pounds stored in my bank account, therefore this doesn't apply to me. It very much does. How am I using what I have um, for God and his kingdom to build the church and to, to, um, to say, your kingdom come, your will be done? Let's, <clears throat> let's not get to the stage as a church where we are corporately doing this. We are amassing our resources. And we are not using them for the kingdom of God. We're not using them to train missionaries, to, to equip the saints. We're not using it to invest in the next generation, to provide gospel resources, blah, blah, blah. We want to be doing all that. We want to be serving the poor. We want to be giving money to plants across the world. So churches can fall into this, this as well, I fully believe. Um, of course, if you're in a position of, of um, uh, you know, authority at work, Um, Particularly if you're a boss or if you have your own company, then, of course, I don't know if any of you are here, I don't think you are, but uh, it's entirely possible to uh, defraud your workers by underpaying them, undercutting them, you know, to impress your boss, just getting away with it, uh, you know, a a tighter margin. So there's ways that we can can all do this. Um, Okay, let's just, before we move on... um, you, rather rather than identifying yourself with with the rich in this particular scenario you might think to yourself well I'm, I'm more like the poor here you know uh, I'm treated more like this this uh, unjustly my, my, my wages aren't reflective of the hard work I put in I um, don't I don't have, I don't have um, the resources that, that clearly these individuals here do and some within our church do as well' uh, that's, I'm off the hook um, but but unfortunately not not so fast our Lord himself teaches um, you know about the woman, uh, who gives? Who gives the the widows' might, It's called, you know, in, in Luke 21. Uh, and w- the reason why I'm citing this is because because all all riches, all, all resources, are relative, and they're a marker of our heart ultimately. Uh, so I'm not talking about, you know, if, if you've got X number of pounds in the bank account, or if you have X number of pounds income, then this does apply to you. But if you fall below that, it doesn't apply to you. That's that's not it. That, Jesus doesn't allow that because he said, you know, uh, he saw the poor widow putting in two small copper coins into the offering box at the temple. And he said, truly, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, all of the rich. They contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had to live on. So, So Jesus said it's not a question of absolute wealth and absolute pay and all that stuff. It is a question of the heart. It is an attitude of the heart. That looks different for everybody depending on your circumstances and your background and all that stuff. I get that. But um, this uh, can apply to your two small copper coins as well. Are you going to hoard it? Are you going to lay it up for yourself? Or are you going to use it to the glory of God? We're not talking about being reckless, about being stupid. We've got a plan for the future. We've got to be sensible with our money. Certainly. But Jesus said at the end of the day, this is a heart condition about how we use our resources. Right. So I wonder, um, as we're going through this, uh, just throwing things out there at the moment, but do you recognise any of these tendencies in your own heart uh, when when it comes to your attitude towards money and and resources in general? Um, I wonder if any of these these attitudes um, are found in your own heart, you know, that James is criticising here. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Um, Sorry, that's my child. Uh, I don't know if you ever watch the likes of um, Law and Order, I love Law and Order, it's one of my favourite shows, it's old now, they don't do them anymore so much, but uh, the old ones are the best. I quite often talk when, you, when, when a crime is committed, quite often a murder or something like that, um, you know, the, cri- the crime requires three things in order f- generally for it to happen. It requires the motive, the means and the opportunity. And then when all those three things come together, then you know, why not commit the crime? Uh, the motive, which is the drive or the desire to do it, uh, the means is in the ability to do it. You have the axe in the back of your car, which you can use to chop someone's head off, or, or shoot them with a gun, or whatever, it, or, or, or do it. And also the opportunity. Um, you've got. You, you might have the motive to do it. You really want to kill the guy. You've got the axe in the back of your car to go and do it, or, or whatever. Just using, uh, you know, off the top of my head here. Um, but do you have the opportunity to do it? You know. Um, are you going to go when it's in a busy shopping centre and you're going to get nailed, or are you going to go when when it's just you know he's on his own and you get the chance? And so all three have to come about: means, motive, and opportunity. And why am I saying this to you and to us? Um, we we may not have the means to oppress the poor in in, in the way that we see in, in verses one through six. Um, we may not even have the opportunity to do it, even if we wanted to do it. Um, I, I don't think people generally think to themselves, even very bad, naughty people, I'm going to go and oppress the poor. Uh, they just see the poor uh, as an opportunity to get money or to, to, to pull a fast one or whatever. Um, but in general, means, motive and opportunity. Uh, we may not have the means, we may not have the opportunity, uh, but when it comes to what we do with our resources and how we treat the poor, um, we may have uh, the same motive that we're talking about here, um, the, the, the sort of inner motivation. Um, the Bible unfortunately teaches that we, that we do have that motive. We have a, a heart, um, as, as, as Luther teaches, which is curved in on itself, incurvatus in se, in turned in on itself. All about itself, all about its own glory, all about its own comfort, its own desire. This is how we are left to our own devices, it's the effect of, of the fall, it's the effect of sinfulness. Uh, we may not have the means or the motive to oppress and to extort money and to, and to, and to lay up, but we, we, we certainly all share this one thing in common, which is the motive. It's the heart, the heart behind the whole thing. Left to our own devices, we indeed will serve ourselves. We're made for God, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, but we live for ourselves, as we see in Genesis 3 and following. Um, we just may lack the opportunity. So what is the inclination of your heart? When it comes to how you use your your money um one thing is clear we can't just make a decision to sort of wake up one day and suddenly start to prioritize god as if we haven't done that before we we'll start living for him we can't just do that we can't just change our motivation to, to live for him on our own steam. um the reason the reason for that is that uh this this sinfulness this turning in on ourselves is so deep uh, it's so profound of course um, so affects our deepest motivations um, that we can't just undo that by a series of good decisions. Um, that's what Luther was getting at, is the human heart's curved in on itself. The Apostle Paul puts it in a slightly different language in Romans 6. He talks about us being uh, bound to sin, captive to sin, slave to sin. can't just unleash yourself if you're a slave. Someone has to come in from outside and let you out of the prison, um, give you freedom from an outside power. Um, just like Gollum, you know, in the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, he, he, he became controlled, uh, contorted, twisted over time. He couldn't just decide to untwist himself. Uh, there had to be a greater power that came in from the outside, upon him. Verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um... This immediate context, of course, is to the, to the poor. Um, but ultimately, it points to the one who is truly righteous. Uh, the only righteous one, which is Jesus. All right, maybe you can see where this is going. Christ is the only truly righteous sufferer. He, in the gospel, Jesus, um, of course, gave, gave up his riches so that he could become poor. For us, he was mistreated by the rich and powerful of his time, by the religious leaders. He gave himself to the will of the Father. Um, you know, he, con- he was condemned by wicked people who worked the system to get him out of the picture, much like we see in verse 6 here. He was oppressed, he was murdered, he had his life snubbed out, he was nailed to the cross, and yet, just like here it says in the Bible, he did not resist, right? Isaiah 53, as a sheep is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Christ was the only righteous sufferer Uh, suffered the greatest form of injustice and oppression that the world has ever seen and so that gives us the key that gives us the clue about how we can be saved from our own selfish desires our inward facing hearts that that cannot just untwist themselves or we cannot untwist it's something to do with what Christ did in our place that can unravel the inward facing parts of our heart Um, and that's the good thing, that's the great thing, isn't it, about the gospel. The, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus um, is powerful enough to untwist even the most contorted and inward-facing human heart. Um, and that's how the gospel gives us new hearts. Uh, our sin has been dealt with through Jesus. Uh, our punishment has been taken away through Jesus. Our guilt has been washed away. Our inward-facing hearts have been removed. We've been given new hearts in the Holy Spirit. That's how the gospel changes our hearts. And, and this, that's where we start. That is the most basic building block to us becoming a people renowned for serving the poor and for tremendous generous, generosity um, with the use of our resources. So we've got Christ. We've got how he became the righteous sufferer for us. Let's just close out by thinking, how, then can, we, how can we apply this to our attitude towards the poor? Um, how, how can the fact that Jesus became poor for us help us um, in our church and outside of our church as well um, I I hope, I hope that as, as we're going through this and we're, we're thinking and we're checking ourselves against scripture and we're hearing about how Jesus has has fulfilled and has, has stood in the place for us um, that, that will start to change us and and uh, you know, the very, the, very, the very first thing that will happen will be a, a, a relinquishing of power over our own resources. Rather than hoarding our wealth, uh, we, we will start to think about how we can mobilize it in thanks to God for his glory and for his kingdom. So how, how can we start mobilizing that uh, and using that to, to build his kingdom? Rather than our wealth sitting around, uh, rather than it serving our own luxuries, how can we use it to serve God, especially the poor? The poor in our families, the poor in our church the poor in the world in general how can we seek first the kingdom so that's the first change this will make if we understand it. if the gospel really relinquishes that power in our hearts for us Um, the second thing it'll do um, it will definitely change our practices our business practices for those in in, in business and and the working world Uh, some of us are in management positions where we have um, you know uh, those under us some of us may even be employers um, we, we may be tempted to press down, to cut corners, to underpay, to drive them hard just to get to the, the targets and, and look good uh, before the boss and all that. But again, the gospel, uh, when we understand it, will motivate us um, not just to give the minimum legal requirements, uh, you know, the, the minimum wage and all that, but to, to, to live out a culture of generosity and, and richness towards those who are under us um, economically at the very least. So just a few thoughts about how we, we as a church are going to do this or are doing this and opportunities that we have and then that's us done um we we as a church already uh, have a connection to international justice mission that i've been talking about already um and you you guys are all all aware of this uh, and how uh, our connection to them and our prayers and our, our giving um will be one small way that we can live out a a, a concern for the poor um especially those who are oppressed by what we're seeing here in the churches, we're going to watch a little video in a few minutes, um, just to stir your hearts. Um, another way we can live this out as a church is through the advance movement of churches, um, especially in our giving. There's churches in advance that are that are really on the front end uh, in terms of persecution and poverty in Nepal, in Kenya, in Madagascar, even some of the poor communities that are being served in South Africa. We don't have loads of money. In fact, we we have hardly any at all. Um, but you know, let's adopt the position of the widow in, in, in Luke 21 and give what we can um, out of out of our, our lack uh, to extend God's kingdom. Um, so we can do that. And of course, through Aspire as well, you know, we'll be hearing about more of that after Easter, uh, but how we can spend time just, again, using our resources, doesn't always have to be financial, serving, tutoring, mentoring uh, school students from challenging backgrounds in our own community. So that's just three ways that as a church we uh, can can, can um, listen to this teaching and put it out. We want to be missional in practice, and that's all about taking what we have and using it for the mission of God rather than solar panels. Um, maybe, maybe you, though, uh, want to think of other ways that you can up your your uh, your response, if you like, uh, to what we're talking about here. Here's just a couple of suggestions. Um, these, this doesn't require organisation from a church point of view. This is maybe just... Uh, one way that you want to do this as a, as a family or as an individual. Um, find ways to serve the poor that you are aware of, that no one else knows, that you are particularly uniquely positioned. Does that, does that ring any bells to you? Are there, are there people uh, that you know, neighbours, poor, vulnerable especially, who you can serve, uh, that you are uniquely positioned to reach out to? Of course it's not the size of your donation, or, or anything like that, but it's the attitude of, of your heart. So, are there other ways that you can can, can quietly serve um, in response to this this teaching? Um, yeah, let's 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 become a church that is famous for loving service to the, to the poor, to the disaffected, to the outsider. Um, we don't need to wait until we are two hundred strong or five hundred strong. and We have Paid staff to, to do all this for us. Um, let's let's get this in now while we're still so small and um, and and can actually serve in the eyeball, you know, uh, looking at that person face to face, as opposed to some sort of faceless organisation that we can give to. That's good. It's right. Um, but let's 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 get famous. Let's get famous for serving the poor face to face with all we have, and even if that's two, two copper coins. There's so many other ways that we can do this. We're gonna watch this little video now, it lasts about five minutes. Um, hopefully you haven't seen it before. If you have, great, because it's good. Um, I will put it on. It's one way, it's one story where churches have worked together, and have given, have responded to teachings such as this, and uh, the oppressed go free in Jesus' name.